so I'm Pastor Nick. Uh, it's great to have you with us this morning, and we are in part three um, of a Bible series called Bible Heroes. Um, uh, so we're looking at some heroes from the Bible, uh, and we've kind of got a variety of speakers because it's the summer months. Um, do please feel free to use the QR code that's up there. If you point your phone to that, it takes you into the Version Bible app. And uh, that then links you to the notes and the passage that Yutunde read for us. And it's got the headings in there. Uh, do feel free to add your own notes as we go along. <clears throat> I'd like to open uh, this morning uh, with uh, a story from a very famous film, a well-known film called The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's a film uh, which features a deep bond of friendship between um, two prisoners, a guy called Andy and a guy called Red. Now, in the story... Um, another prisoner but that both Andy and Red happen to know, a sort of a, a mutual acquaintance from the prison, and this happens about halfway through the story, uh, this other prisoner, after a really long time of being inside, gets released. And uh, he finds the whole experience of being back out in the world too much. Uh, he's been institutionalized for a long time, and uh, he tries to navigate the world, but it's um, there's, a, there's a short little scene kind of in the middle of the film where he kind of says, gosh, the whole world is all speeded up, uh, and everything seems to be different. He's been on the inside 20 plus years, and it's all very different. And he flounders and really struggles, and he falls into this pit of despair, and very sadly, he ends up taking his own life. Now, news of that gets back to Andy and Red and the uh, other prisoners, and they're very disappointed about that and very sad for this guy. Um, and uh, that, that kind of feeds into the storyline. You need to kind of just hold what happens there just in your mind. Now, um, Andy shouldn't really be in prison. The theme of the story is an unjust uh, imprisonment, but he works the system over time, over a long period of time, and, and plots an escape. Uh, and what he does is he, he kind of works out how he can escape, uh, works out the diagrams of the building, starts to help the, the governors and the, and the prison staff with their tax affairs, um, and he gets favors, and in return for this you know, a particular favor, he, he, one of the favors he gets is he's able to have a cell adjacent to a bit in the prison block that drops right down, and he works out how to escape, and uh, so after many years of planning this, one stormy night, Andy escapes, and he escapes through this um, uh, sewage channel, and he goes into town the next day, having washed and cleaned himself all up, and he gets some money from the bank that he's been banking all this time, and he makes his journey to freedom down to Mexico. But before he does this, before he leaves the prison, he does something that is an awesome act of kindness to his friend, Red. He takes uh, Red to one side, and they're chatting uh, one day, and he says to Red, you know, Red, if you ever get out, um, there's something I want you to do. I want you to go and visit this field. So there's, a, there's a field at a village called Buxton in the, in the New York state of Maine. And in this field, there's an old oak tree. And if you look under the, by the old oak tree, there's like a box buried under a rock. And there's something there for you. Uh, and so, um, you know, uh, Andy gets his freedom and he goes off down to Mexico. And then many years later, Red eventually gets granted parole. And he's thinking about what to do, and he's facing those same feelings that the other guy faced, you know, not knowing what to do in the big wide world. And he was so institutionalized as well himself, and he, he struggled a bit. And then he remembered what Andy had said, and he remembered that Andy had said, hey, if you ever get out, go and find this box. Go and search for it, because there's something there for you. So Red makes a journey, and he goes and finds this village, he finds the field, he finds the tree. He scrabbles around under the tree for a bit. He digs up this rock and he finds, sure enough, there's a box there. And in the box, there's a letter and some money from Andy. Uh, and Andy basically invites him to come down to Mexico with him. And, and you can see, like, Red's face kind of lifts and he thinks, yeah, I'll go and do that. And the reason I want to open with that story is because it's a story of a great friendship of two people who get imprisoned, one of them wrongly. Um, and that friendship then is something that turns into a lifeline for one of them, particularly. It turns into a means by which the one of them who would otherwise have floundered and struggled on the outside in real life actually has a chance because he's given something by his friends to look forward to. You can imagine that, can't you? If you'd been in prison a long time and one of your mates said, hey, I've got a little assignment for you, you'd, I'd be all ears about that. I'd be like, well, yeah, I need to go and find out what that is. And, and that's exactly what Red does. His curiosity is peaked. He wants to go and find out. And it sets up a goal. It sets up a, an objective. And Andy knows that that's a really healthy psychology for an ex-prisoner to have. 
Uh, so he goes and finds the thing, and then, of course, there's another step for him to take. And, and for those of you who've watched the film, you'll know how this ends. Uh, the film ends with uh, Red appearing on the beach, uh, where Andy has started a new life in Mexico. It's an awesome, awesome film. It's a very brutal film. You know, it's not a Christian film in that sense, but it's very real, and the hope that it offers, and the picture of the friendship between two of these guys, these two prison inmates, is just awesome. It's a, it's a very... Uh, kind of heartwarming and encouraging uh, story. So I do encourage you to see it if you've not seen it yet. I wanted to open with that story because it's such a great illustration of someone being willing to stick out their neck for their friend, to do something for their friend when, when he knows that his friend is going to struggle and he sets something up in order to rescue his friend. And, and, and that story has a little bit of a bearing and a parallel on the the character that we're going to look at today uh, from the New Testament, the character of a guy called Silas. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never heard a sermon dedicated solely to the person of Silas. Have you? Maybe you have. Um, And we often hear of Paul and Silas in connection with how Yutunde so beautifully read that for us from Acts chapter 16, don't we? It's Paul and Silas. And we focus on Paul quite a lot because Paul is kind of like the bigger character, and he's got more of the airtime and more of the the space in the New Testament. He does loads of things. Um, So next weekend, just so that you know, we have um, a member of our Elim's Elim's national leadership team. They're going to come and join us. It's a guy called Steve Ball. He's coming with his wife. Steve used to be the senior pastor at Cardiff City Temple, which is like a great big multicultural church, just like BCC. So he's going to, I think he'll find himself totally at home. I think he's been to BCC before and spoken here. Uh, in, you know, in the not-too-distant past. He'll be coming to speak for us at Family Festival uh, next Sunday. So that's 9 for the 9 o'clock service. Midday for you guys. You've got a tiny bit more time in bed, a tiny bit more time to pray, maybe. Yeah, just put it out there. Um, so you can be with us at midday. And Steve's going to be speaking about the Apostle Paul. Um, and so, you know, he, Paul is a major character in the New Testament, isn't he? He's somebody who does probably more than anyone else other than Jesus to build the church. He goes on these missionary journeys. He's a fearless character. He's very bold. Um, He is a Bible hero. So you're going to hear about that next week. But in thinking, in some ways, my message was prompted off what Steve decided he was going to speak on. I told him the series. He said, hey, can I speak on Paul? And immediately, in my mind, I thought Paul and Silas. And then I was thinking about that later in the day. I was thinking, wow, never hear about Silas. What's the deal with Silas? Let's have a look at him. Let's see if there are some things that make him a Bible hero. And I think that there are. I think there are some kind of interesting things about him. Um, And in his kind of very ordinariness, the fact that he's like a backgroundy guy, you're going to hear some things that I think will encourage you and inspire you yourselves. So this week's Bible hero is called Silas. Um, Let me uh, just explain a little bit to you about Silas. He has um, two names. He has one in the Greek, Silas. And he has the Latin name, Silvanus. Uh, and I've noticed we've got Silvana here. That's the female version of Silvanus. So there we go, Sil- Silvana, there we go. Um, and that happens quite a lot in cultures where you've got two languages or maybe several languages alongside one another. That's, quite, that's the case with quite a few people in BCC. Um, are Bill and Fiona here? Just stick your hands up if you're here, Bill and Fiona. They might be on holiday. So Bill and Fiona are actually from China, and Bill and Fiona are their English names, and you can go and speak to them and say, hey, Bill, hey, Fiona, uh, you know, t- tell me your Chinese name, and they will probably say, no, you just need to stick to the English name because the Chinese name is much too hard for you. Uh, I have never got their Chinese names out of them. Can I just say that? But this happens quite a lot in cultures that mix together. Uh, and Birmingham is a great big melting pot of every nation under heaven, isn't it? Uh, and so that's something that happens. So Sil- Silas is the Greek version of his name. Silvanus is the Latin version of his name. And th- those two, when you see them in the New Testament, they're referring to the same person. Just to set that out there. Now, the first time we hear about Silas is in Acts chapter 15. So rewinding a chapter from what Yatunde read for us, we're at a council in Jerusalem. Uh, and the early church have met together to sort out problems. Uh, there's problems with, uh, basically, the essence of the issue is people are saying, so how much of Judaism and being a Jew 
do we need to import into our new Christian faith? Because many of them were Jews and had been Jews and they'd kind of jumped across to Jesus. You remember in Acts, there's like 3,000 get added to their number, then 5,000, and there's loads of those big numbers in early Acts are Jewish people. And so there's a bit of a tension there, isn't there? If you've ever come from one environment and you're going to another, you bring a history with you, don't you? And so the Council of Jerusalem is trying to sort out, so which bits of the Jewish faith do we carry on? And what they do is they're very, they, they debate it for a while, they're very sensible, they talk it out, and they boil it all down to four things to avoid in order for your Christian faith to grow. And they're quite simple things. Now, those four things are a sermon for another time, but you can look them up in Acts 15 if you're keen to find out you know, what they are. Um, but we're not going to get into those today. But what we are going to get into is a letter gets written with the four things in it, and the letter mentions Silas for the first time, along with a guy called Judas Barsabbas. So that's not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. He died around the Passion Week, didn't he? And he's no more. This is another gentleman called Judas Barsabbas. And both Silas and Judas Barsabbas um, get mentioned in, pass, well, in passing as part of this letter that the early church want to send to another church in a town called Antioch. Uh, and so that's the first mention of Silas. Um, so they've got a letter, they've got some instructions, and what they do is they send Silas and Judas Barsabbas, along with Paul and Barnabas, with the letter to Antioch. So there's four of them that go along, and they go with the letter. Now that's quite a, quite a belt and braces communication, isn't it? You know, in our present age of texting and emails and messenger, and we've got, who here sometimes wonders where someone communicated with them on, and then goes through all their different messaging systems to find where it was? Well, I certainly do. I struggle with that. Um, what they did in, in this time was that they wrote the letter. They gave the letter to four guys, including Sil- Silas and this Judas guy. And those four guys traveled with the letter, read it out in the church, and then they could talk about it. And that seems to be a very clear way of doing things. Maybe, maybe a little bit over the top for all of our needs, but it was certainly very helpful uh, for them. Now, uh, let me uh, just quickly define uh, one or two other things where Silas comes up. He gets mentioned in passing as part of groups. And one other thing is that he seems to have been a bit of a letter writer. So he helped Paul write some of his letters. And he seems to have helped Peter write one or two of his letters. So he's quite a minor character. You know, has anybody here ever heard a message on Silas before? I'd be really interested if you have. I can't see anyone's ever heard a message on Silas. Right, okay, so he's a real, well, one or two maybe. He's a real minor character. But nevertheless, I think he's a bit of a hero as we begin to unpack. Before we do that, what is a hero? Most of us know kind of instinctively instinctively what a hero is, don't we? We we understand what it takes to be a bit of a hero. I I jumped onto the Merriam-Webster online dictionary to get a definition of a hero, and they suggested these four things. It's a person from legend. Uh, So somebody with great strength and ability and Uh, capacity to do cool stuff. Um, It could be uh, an illustrious or an accomplished warrior. So somebody like King David, and we just recently did a King David series, didn't we? Um, It's somebody admired for their achievements or their noble qualities. We might look up to a hero in our present society who has great achievements under their belt or noble qualities. It's also a person who shows great courage in the face of adversity. Uh, So those are some definitions of what it means to be a hero. Now, sometimes a heroic act can take a split second. Somebody reacts instinctively to a situation, and they do something heroic. I don't know if you ever remember this, but a few years ago in a Paris suburb, there was some kid that was being dangled out or caught, I think by its clothing, on a balcony, and it was hanging over the balcony. It was about three stories up. And this, this guy, I think he was possibly from... Tunisia or Algeria, northern Africa anyway, or Moroccan maybe, he saw it, and somebody in the crowd filmed this, and he simply climbed up the building, like he's just a really brave guy, and he climbed up the building and grabbed this kid, and then climbed over the balcony and saved this kid's life, and I think the French fire service then offered him a job on the spot, because he was just like so brave and courageous, I mean that's, that's a great entrance exam right there to, to getting into the fire service, and he got this job. Um, And I remember that piece of news as being very exciting, very dramatic, and of course, very heroic. Uh, It was an instant decision. Now, I want to suggest to us 
that being a hero isn't just about the instant decisions it's the, the, or the instant reactions, although that can very much form a part of it. I think there's a journey to becoming a hero in which our character needs to be formed and foundational things need to be put in place and opportunities taken which combine with instantaneous moments to give us those, maybe those heroic things that we might see. Um, Think of someone like the Olympic um, uh, hero, Sir Steve Redgrave. Anyone here know what Sir Steve Redgrave is famous for? Yes, Debbie. Do you know what it's for? Rowing, absolutely, rowing. Yeah, so Steve Redgrave in the UK is part of the great British Olympic rowing team. And he achieved... uh, hero status in the world of sport because he managed to get a gold medal uh, in five consecutive Olympics for rowing, which is a brutal sport in terms of fitness. Um, If you want to pick a sport that's tough, you're going to go for marathons, you're going to go for triathlon, you're going to go for rowing. And this guy manages to do five consecutive gold medals you know, over a 20-year period, I guess that is. That's my maths is right, isn't it, Kevin? Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's a really incredible achievement, isn't it? Can I just say, I've not even got one gold medal yet. Uh, I, I'm quite disappointed. No, Steve Redgrave is a bit of a hero because he has been able to do this over such a long period of time. Now, when we watch him on the TV and you're kind of egging him on to win and, and you see the boats kind of kind of going like this, don't they? They go like this on the, as the rowing strokes are going on. You see his boat edging ahead. And you see that sometimes he's literally winning by about this much. And you're thinking, wow, that's such a fine call. How does he do it? Um, and so for a moment on our TV screens, we think, wow, a hero is born. He's won it. You know, amazing. And they stand up in their boat and they're throw, throwing each other in the water and getting their gold medal and all that stuff. And you think, wow, that's the moment a hero is born. I'm going to say to you, The moment the hero is born is at 5 a.m. when he gets out on the river by himself and he's rowing and he's putting in the hours and he's being coached in the background. And also, some of those opportunities that people grab, they're facilitated by others. He had, so Steve Redgrave had a rowing mate alongside him, a guy called Matthew Pinsent. And we mustn't forget that Matthew Pinsent had to be as fit as Sir Steve Redgrave. And I think they won their five gold medals together. Or there was four and a crossover and Matthew Pinsent carried on. I think, anyway, they were a team. They were two buddies, just like Paul and Silas were kind of mission buddies. Um, you know, so Steve Redgrave and Matthew Pinsent did these incredible exploits together. But it wasn't just the moment of the victory. It was a whole build-up to that point. Now, even though Silas seems like a minor character, as I've looked carefully at the the few details that we have about him, there are three things that seem to stand him out for hero status. And I think they build. I think two of them are a little bit more what you might expect every day or you'd hope for every day. But the final one is a bit more kind of when the chips are down the quality comes out, uh, and we'll see as we go through the message. So let me give you those three things. Um, Silas gained or built influence, number one. Silas brought capability, number two. And Silas found resolve, number three. Those are the three things. So we've got influence, capability, and resolve. And he's a guy, despite being a minor character in the New Testament, He seems to demonstrate these three things uh, really well. So let's just jump into each of these briefly and have a look. So Acts 15.22, Silas builds influence in as much as he gets selected to go to Antioch because, it says in Acts 15.22, they are considered leading men among the brothers. Leading men among the brothers. Silas has already come to the forefront and been chosen for this special assignment. Now, Uh, I don't know how many of you in here are managers or leaders of other people. I'm sure a fair number of you supervise people or manage people or lead people. When a special assignment comes up, as a manager, you're thinking in your mind, so who is it that I can give this job to? Uh, You're thinking, who is suited to the job? Who's shown aptitude in the past? Who's got that initiative and that confidence and the strength of character to give it a go. And you'll see around BCC, we practice this ourselves. As you've seen today, we've had two new step-up moments. Uh, we're trying to get people, more people speaking and opportunity and so on and so on. So we, we really like the idea of looking around to say, who's ready? Who's ready to have a go? Who is presenting themselves to us as potential to take on an assignment? We really like that here. Silas has come to the forefront of people's minds as being ready for an assignment. He's built a little bit of influence. 
Perhaps you're one of those people who's in a team and you look around the team and you think, so how, is the, how are the opportunities given out here? Have you ever worked in a team where it seems like the opportunities seem to be a little bit random? Or perhaps they don't seem to go to quite the right person or you're really surprised that person X over here is suddenly going to get to go to Paris and do a senior negotiation with the customer? And you're like... Wow, I didn't see that come in. Maybe you're one of those people. And if you're one of those people, that tells me you're interested in how influence works. And actually, that tells me you've got embryonic leadership in you because influence is leadership. Leading is really just a fancy word for that you've got some influence. Um, Silas was a person who built an influence through, I guess, through his decisions, through his contribution to church, through his willingness to step up. And suddenly, in this council... The church is saying, ah, okay, of all the people we can think of to take this letter, Judas Barsabbas, Silas, you guys are it, and we're going to send you with Paul and Barnabas. That makes a lot of sense. It's because he's building some influence. Now, if we think of influence as a form of leadership, which it is, there's good influence and then there's bad influence, isn't there? Uh, and we can be subject to both. I thought Jason uh, Thompson, one of our elders, did a smashing job last week of telling us the message about Samson. And there was a lady in his story, in Samson's story, who was noted for not such great influence. Delilah influenced Samson in a bad way, didn't she? Uh, and we've, we, we all know those people in our lives that we kind of sense might be a bad influence on us. And I think equally we know those people that we want to be influenced by because they're a good influence. When I was growing up as a teenager, uh, my stepdad would say things like, uh, he would say things to me like, uh, I don't want you hanging out with those guys doing nothing down the park. They're a bad influence. Uh, and I'd have to go, oh yeah, okay, maybe, you know, and he would be judging them a little bit, to be honest, um, based on them not doing too much of, an, of a Saturday afternoon, which is possibly a little harsh. Can I just say that? Um, but he didn't want me hanging out with what he thought were good-for-nothing people not doing anything. Uh, whether you agree with that or not, I don't know, but he certainly had an opinion about it. So that's bad influence and being steered by someone to try and avoid it. Now, when I first got into the world of work, um, I was just finished my A-levels and I was about to go to university. This was in September, October 1986, and I had a whole summer ahead of me after finishing my A-levels, and I went and worked in a bakery um, now, can I just say, I, I wasn't aiming to be a chef. I thought you were all a little bit unkind to, to Kevin on his Moses message. Can I just say that? Uh, he offered that one of his jobs was a chef, and you were laughing straight away. You know, there wasn't any build-up. Poor chap. So I listened to your podcast, Kevin. I thought it was an excellent message, by the way. But uh, this wasn't me going and being a chef like Kevin was trying to be a chef. Okay, I was just cleaning up. Uh, I was just kind of scraping dough off ovens and, you know washing the van and things like that. But there was a guy there, a guy called Neil, Neil the baker, and he had a big influence on me for just a short time. And, the reason he, and it was a good influence, and the reason he had a good influence on me was because he was a really hard worker. My mental image of Neil was constantly carrying in big sacks of flour on his shoulders. He was a real stocky guy, and uh, pouring this flour into these big mixing vats. And he was always working, really, really hard worker. He'd be up at 4.30 a.m., and he worked and worked and worked. And uh, he had some fruit to show for that. He had a nice uh, yellow 316 BMW with an awesome stereo system in it. And one time, a group of us went over to a sister bakery in the same chain in another town. And I sat in the middle on the back seat. And I had both these speakers on either side. I think I'm still deaf to this day. Um, and we drove over to the sister bakery. And I remember Neil saying to me, in the rearview mirror, work hard, Nick and you'll get a fruitful life. Words to that effect. I think it was like, put in some effort, lad, and you'll do all right. And basically what he was saying was, work hard, and you'll be okay, and you can enjoy a car like mine. And that a piece of advice and the way he modeled things went in. He was a good influence upon me. And I've certainly noticed in the course of my life that where I've applied effort to things, there's a little bit more fruitfulness than when I've been dossing about things. Anyone agree with that? Yeah, I think we all identify with that, wouldn't we? Silas was somebody who built influence to the point of being a person that others would go, ah, yes, let's choose him. Uh, can I say that you can bring influence without title or position or a, like an official label? And you can bring influence no matter how small you are in a particular environment or how tiny a cog you are in the overall scheme of things. You can bring influence from wherever you are. 
Let me illustrate what I mean with a couple of illustrations. Um, many years ago, uh, I was playing Laser Quest, and I had some. Uh, I went with my boys, and um, I couldn't work out why it was that every time I went to the laser recharging station, which was this little bit where you go and kind of get your gun topped up again, that it, the minute I'd got it topped up, I was getting killed like by, virtually, by laser, you know. Um, and what happened was, my son Adam, who was seven at the time, had got himself into a little sniper position up high, and he was waiting every time I was coming along, and the minute I got recharged, it was doof, doof, doof. And then I was like, and I couldn't work it out. There's an example of somebody small, maybe insignificant, having great influence in a situation from where they are. Can I encourage you that you can have influence where you are? You really can. Let me give you another illustration. Maybe you'll identify with this one more. You're, picture the scene. You're on holiday. It's in the tropics somewhere, maybe a tropical island. It's the, it's the holiday of a lifetime. You've had a beautiful day on the beach. You can hear the sea through your open windows. You switch off the light. You fall into bed, and you're about to go to sleep, and you hear this noise. And you're like, you wake up, and you hear it again. And you know there's a mosquito in the room. You know. Now, is that mosquito large? Does it have a company car? Has it got a, has it got a title? No. Is it tiny and insignificant? Yes. But does it have influence? Yes, it does. It has huge influence right there and then. Can I just encourage you that no matter how small you are or insignificant you might feel in the cog of life or the machinery of modern culture, you have influence. And if you have influence, that means you're beginning to lead. It means that other people are taking inspiration from how you are. You are much more powerful than you think you are. And that's one of the big messages of the Gospel of Mark, actually. Something I didn't mention in the first service. It's not in my script. What Gospel of Mark does is he says, actually, you've actually got a bit more power than you think you have. Uh, and it's a really good journey to go through the Gospel of Mark and try and unpack some of that. So my challenge for us each of my points today is going to come with a little mini challenge for you to take on, is I want you to listen to a podcast. I genuinely want you to listen to a podcast. Um, I'm, no, I, I'm not at all frightened of quality. If someone else brings something of greater quality than mine, I'm delighted. I'm like, yes, bring it on. Let's build the kingdom together. Got no problems about what that's, you know, that whatsoever. This pastor that I'm going to recommend to you is a great pastor. He's leading a great set of churches in the US. It's a guy called Craig Grishel. In fact, he's the guy that, who was behind the YouVersion app when it first got launched in 2008, I think it was. Uh, you know, when uh, iPhones first came out in 2000 and they start to do apps. You know, like apps have only been around since 2007. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, but I, I, I remember a world pre-apps. Can I just say that? Uh, but, so the YouVersion app came along 2008, um, and his church pioneered that. This is a great guy. In recent years, Craig Shell has started to do a leadership podcast, and there are two episodes on there that if you're someone that's interested in leading up and the concept of leading up is that no matter how small you are and where you are, you've got influence to be able to lead up from where you're at. I'd love you to listen to those and then over the summer. And they're linked for you on your YouVersion app there. So if you're not on your YouVersion, go in there. You'll see the two links. The two links I've given you are on Spotify. Uh, sorry, on YouTube, sorry. But you can also find his podcast on Spotify. He's a great leader. Leading Up Podcast, episode one and episode two. They go together about 20 minutes each. Highly recommended. So that's my mini challenge for you about building influence where you are. And therefore, you can start to become a bit more of that quiet Bible hero that Silas is. Let me take you on to number two. So number one, Silas built influence. Number two, Silas brought capability. He brought capability. Acts 15.32 says this about Judas and Silas once they arrive in Antioch. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. So who themselves were prophets, and I'm reading that and I'm thinking, oh, okay, right, there's a story here. You're a guy that has built some capability into your life. You're not just someone who's influencing and being a leader. You're, and maybe your, your influencing your leadership has come through your capability. I'll see that. But you've got a gifting and it's from God and you've started to take that on a bit of a journey. In fact, God has done something in your life, Silas, where you've, Silas, where you've received a bit of a gift from God, the ability to be prophetic. You've then stepped out in that ability and had a go. You've then practiced it quite a lot and got quite good at hearing from God. You've then become known for that in your church. And now the church actually have given you the office of prophet. 
Not that just somebody you're prophesying regularly. You're actually a prophet. And that's quite a cool thing. I'm not sure we've got a prophet here in BCC. And maybe we should have the office of prophet. That would be great. Um, So I'm interested that he has gone on a capability journey. Uh, God has given him something there. Um, There are actually uh, five offices that are defined in the church. Uh, It's easy to remember them because uh, the, the, the initial letters of them all spell the word a pest. And that's easy to remember because the offices are a pest to the devil because they build the church. That follow, do you follow that? Uh, so you have A is apostle, P is prophet, E is evangelist, S is shepherd, T is teacher. And I'm probably somewhere between S and T, like a bit of a shepherd, a bit of a teacher. That's probably my core gifting. But there'll be some of you out there that'll have an apostolic call on your life. Some of you will be prophetic. Some of you will be evangelists. Those gifts are there in scripture to help the church get built. Silas as a gift of prophecy. And prophecy is speaking out God's heart into a situation so that you know how God feels about it and often ahead of time. Anyone here tell me any prophets in the New Testament? Not Old Testament, that's easy. There's loads of books in the Old Testament that are prophets. Any Testament? Somebody shouted it. Say it again. Agabus, who was that? Put your hand up. Well done on the back row. Round of applause for you. Agabus, very, very good. Agabus is a prophet who predicts that there will be a famine, doesn't he? Actually, in the book of Acts. And it comes about. And, of course, the church prepare for that. So that, that prophetic gift has, a, has, a, has you know, real usefulness, doesn't it? Any other prophets or pro- prophetesses? Sorry? Shout it out. John, John had a prophetic edge to him. Yes, he did. I'm think, one other person I'm thinking of was Anna, the prophetess, in the Luke 1 and 2 birth narratives, yeah? So there are a few people who've got a prophetic gift. Well done if you thought of those people yourselves. Can I just put it to you that it's pretty, I don't know if you've ever spotted this before, but it's pretty ironic that the liberation of that slave girl from the demonic spirit by which she foretold the future was probably done in front of somebody who had a genuine prophetic gift. Has that ever occurred to you? Because we we always look at Paul and he speaks the words and out comes the demon. But I'm pretty sure, because Luke uses the word we, that there was a group of them there and Silas would have been right there. And so what you have is you have the full-on established bona fide ministry, uh, one of the the five-fold ministries of the church, in the person of Silas right there. Uh, And that's blessed by God, practiced through the Holy Spirit, all that stuff with an office and he's got that status next to this slave girl who is kind of half predicting the future because it's never fully accurate. These demonic things and these mediums and these Christian spiritualist churches, it's all just hints and smoke and mirrors. It's never solid enough. It's never solid enough to win the lottery, is it? You'd love, love, love it if they could give you the accurate numbers for that, but no, they never seem to quite hit that pinnacle, do they? So what I'm, I'm being a bit facetious and a bit cheeky here, but what I'm saying is that when you get these demonic influences that try and suggest that they're hearing from God about the future, it's half-truths. It sounds appealing, but when you dig into it, it's not. And of course, its motivation is about making money, whereas Silas's motivation is about building the church. They come from two very different stables, don't they? I was just interested that Silas would have been there when that happened. So my encouragement to us today is build your capability. Build the, the, the things that make you skillful in life. Um, I, I really want to encourage you to, to, to take uh, like a, a real good long look at your life and go, where am I skillful? Where have I got capability? How can I grow myself in God? Not just for church, of course, that's great, but for your own life, your own ability to, to pull in money, your own ability to be employed. If you're someone that is making yourself useful, building your skill, uh, growing in competency and capability, I tell you what, you're never going to be short of a job. That's a good thing, isn't it? If you're a skillful person, you're never going to be short of a job. I once worked in BP on their, uh, on their IT account, and there was a guy there who knew all about network routing. And what he didn't know about network routing just wasn't worth knowing, and he got paid an absolute packet. If you excuse the pun, for those of you networking, you'll know what that means. But he got paid a lot of money. And it's because he built his capability to a great degree. Build your capability, bring value, find ways to contribute really strongly, and it will serve you, it will serve your family, it will serve the world, it will serve the church. It's great. The world runs on capability. 
whether it's in the human or whether it's spiritual. That's a really key lesson for us all as Christians. You know, sometimes we get a little comfortable and just think Jesus is going to carry us into heaven. Well, yeah, he is, but actually we need to be a little fruitful along the way. Amen? Let me share a story with you just before we move on to the the challenge with this point of capability. Just this Thursday at 6 p.m., around around about that time in the evening, uh, somebody had to make an emergency landing with a small two-seater plane on the A40 dual carriageway in Gloucestershire. Uh, there was a, uh, they haven't got into maybe who the pilot was yet. They haven't published that information, and they think it was an engine failure. They're not sure. But this, uh, this pilot landed this two, little two-seater plane, uh, a Fournier plane, down on the dual carriageway, and they landed it so skillfully that no cars were bumped into or, or crashed into, and nobody got hurt. In fact, the person who landed it was so skillful that they managed to fly the fuselage of, of the plane onto the, several, uh, the, the central reservation barriers, and they didn't even damage the central reservation barriers. That's very, very skillful, isn't it? Don't you think that's cool? And now, that, now that's a moment in which there's a hero status is born, surely. Now, if they messed up and they crashed, maybe not. It's a, maybe not a hero status. But if the engine genuinely failed... Oh my goodness, that's hero status right there. That was really, really skillful. And in looking at the photographs on the BBC website, I could see there was a bridge a couple of hundred yards behind. So this person's come down after the bridge, landed the plane, timed it with the traffic, and not damaged a single thing. That's impressive. That is capability in action right there. Sometimes you need to be capable, and God will set you up to have capability, and then there'll be a flashpoint moment where all that capability is required in order for something to to work or to be done. Can I encourage you to go on a journey of capability? And along with that, there comes a little challenge, uh, just to kind of uh, get you uh, excited about about capability. Um, So we have 2,193 people who call BCC their home church. That's a good number, isn't it? Uh, I'd love to grow the church even more than that, but we're on that journey. That's actually increased by 20% since, since in the last two years. So July 2021, we've grown 20% up until now. That's great. Uh, Now, 811 of you are serving on some rotor, either now or in the near future. That's a really good number too. Can I just say that's a great number for a church? But it does only represent 37% of the total. Uh, And so there's 1,382 people, or 1,382 people, that's 63% of people that I can just feel are aching to serve and find a way of contributing from your, I can feel it off you uh, in the seats. Okay, Uh, so if you're not serving right now, I'm gonna get uh, Elizabeth, I'm gonna cheekily get you to think about serving. Okay, and it doesn't have to be in church, but I'd love it if it were. She's going to put the QR code up there, point your phone at that. It will take you to bcc.life forward slash serve, and you can go on a journey of building your capability. You can go on a journey of finding out your spiritual gifts. Hey, who knows? We're going to be running Alpha and Freedom in Christ in the autumn. I got saved on an Alpha course where someone had a prophetic word for me. I would not be here, or there would have been a very different route to how I'd got to faith, had that person not got capability with their spiritual gifts. In fact, with the same gift that Silas has. So I'm going to encourage you, point your phone at that, get involved. You know, one of the fastest ways to know people is to serve on a team. I'd love some, you know, Chloe regularly tells me she needs more people to do hosting. Hosting's an awesome way to just serve because it happens right at the same time as church. You're not having to come out in the week and all that, just giving you the inside information here. She would love more people in hosting team. I mean, there's any number of teams. That'll take you to a page where there are, I think it's 42 ministries in which you can serve. You can audition for worship team. You can upload the podcast. You can be on cameras at the back. You can be, you can be helping serve tea and coffee in the cafe. And not all of the serving is inward focused into the church. There are several important ministries that are outward facing. Food bank, uh, uh, embrace uh, ministry, uh, healing on the streets, city pastors. There's a, a bunch of stuff we do that serves the city. Can I encourage you, think about building your capability with us here at BCC. Uh, Just one final point about serving. What you love doing, where there's a need, and what you're good at, that's your sweet spot on serving. What you love doing, what you're good at, and where there's a need, 
That's where your sweet spot is. Now, if you hate serving teas and coffees with a passion, and that's the last thing you ever do around your house, you know, don't volunteer for the serving team down in the cafe. You're going to hate that. Find something that you love and bring it to bear. So number one, Silas built, built influence. Number two, Silas brought capability. And I've offered you a couple of challenges there. One to um, li- listen to the podcast and the other to see if you can get serving. Because if you build your influence and you grow your capability, it positions you that you might suddenly be able to be a hero to somebody. You might be able to do something like landing that plane or whatever it might be. Thirdly, Silas found resolve. Silas found resolve. He had some grit and some determination running like fire around his veins that he was not going to bail on his friend Paul. Now, we don't know the detail on this, but I'm just going to put it to you that there was probably an opportunity for Silas, as he saw things getting a little bit hot in terms of pressure, for him to have said to the, the local officials, well, yeah, I just carry Paul's bag. Uh, you know, I'm just doing the, the hotel bookings. I'm, I'm not really part of this. Um, you know, or actually, yeah, um, yeah, Paul's the main, main guy here. He's the one causing the trouble. I'm, I'm just sort of watching. He did not do that. What Silas does is he says, and he resol- I think he resolves this in his mind. He says, no matter how hard this gets, I am staying with my friend. I am standing alongside my friend no matter what the pressure is. And do you know the feeling that that is for someone when someone does that for you? You know, Paul must have felt, wow, what a great feeling. Um, I think it's such a great feeling whenever in my life somebody has said, right, I am standing shoulder to shoulder with you on this, Nick. And I want to be with you, Nick. And I want to be alongside you in this, no matter how hard it gets. And actually, sometimes we need to do that a little bit more for our close friends and the people that we really value just a little bit more often, a little bit more, uh, in a more demonstrative way. Silas, I would put it to us all, does a little bit better than Jesus' own disciples in the Passion Week. Do you remember Jesus' disciples? Uh, you know, and you can understand with the threat of a crucifixion around the corner. To be honest, that's a really hard call, isn't it? Uh, but most of them just run off into the Garden of Gethsemane, and one of them, I think, loses all of his clothes, and he just runs anyway. Peter does a slightly better job because he attempts to go to Caiaphas's house, but then he, he, he loses it and he denies Jesus. It's not a brilliant performance from Jesus' original, 12, well, original 11 disciples, is it? In fact, one of them does a terrible thing. He betrays him. So that's not great. Silas does better. Silas makes a decision based out of his resolve. I am going to stand alongside you, Paul, no matter what. I'm going to be alongside you. I'm alongside you. I'm alongside you. I'm alongside you. Don't fear, I'm right beside you. And if, we get, if the rods come out, if we get a beating, hey, I'm not running. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And that, for me, is where Silas becomes a hero. The other stuff is foundational, and it's really important, and I don't minimize it at all, but some grit and some resolve comes out of Silas, and I'm going, yes, thank you, Silas. You are demonstrating a very Christ-like principle. And that Christ-like principle is that Christ stepped down out of heaven to be alongside me in my life, and Silas does the same for Paul. And I really, really admire that. That's the kind of person that I want to be. And I fear in my spirit that sometimes I shirk away from that, but I ask for God for the strength not to to, to run from it because it's important. All of us need to know we have friends and family who will do that for us when the chips are down. Amen? We need that in our lives. We need to be that person to other people, and we need those people to be like that for us. Can you imagine what it must have been like in the prison when... They're sitting there with their backs smarting from having been beaten 39 times. You know, the Roman custom was 39 lashes with the rods. Sometimes those rods had things in them to rip your flesh out. I'm sorry, kids, if you're in here, but it was really brutal, really brutal. Some people died from a Roman flogging. And it says in, in, in the word here, it was severe. It wasn't just like a little tap on the knuckles or something. This was serious. Some people died from this stuff. So they're sitting in the prison that night with their backs ripped to shreds. I don't know if you've ever seen a photograph of somebody who's ever had a whipping on their back, but they've got big scar tissue over over their backs for the rest of their lives. It's a serious deal. This cost these guys a lot. And they're sitting in, in in the prison, and because they're together, and because they haven't abandoned each other, like Andy didn't abandon Red... They're together. You can imagine how the conversation goes. It would have gone, hey, (laughs) 
we, we might lose our lives tomorrow. I, I think we should pray. And the other one goes, yeah, I think we should pray. Let's pray together. And they're then praying together. And then maybe one of them said, hey, I'm, I'm loving this new worship song on Spotify. It's really got an anointing on it. Should we sing that together right now? And the other one goes, yeah, let's do that. Let's sing that right now. And they're singing in the prison. And they're alongside each other because they're together. And that, that, this only happens because Silas has enough grit in him to not run and to face what's coming. And I love that. I find that so admirable. I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to bail out on people. I want to be alongside. I want to be there. Somebody once said 95% of success in life is showing up, and it's being there, isn't it? Imagine how that must have felt for Paul. Imagine how that must have felt for those other prisoners sitting there listening to that. You know, we have a mission statement in our church which comes from Ephesians 2.22. E222, it's ever so easy to remember. In Christ, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. And so these guys, they're in Christ. They are, they are Christ ambassadors. Uh, they have Christ in them. They are representing Christ. They are acting out their Christ-called life the pair of them and others, including Luke, on this mission to um, Philippi. Uh, They have a you also mentality. Their you also mentality means that Lydia becomes a Christian that day uh, or just in that period of time. Uh, A slave girl who is being used for money gains her freedom. She is not now demonic or financially possessed. That's a really great step forward for that lady. One can imagine, or one hopes, that maybe she went on a journey and became a follower of Jesus herself. We don't know that. And we also have, obviously, the Philippian jailer and his whole household become Christians. Being built together. You could not ask for a more powerful way to be built together than being beaten with your friend. You are now bonded together in your Christian faith, in your journey together. You are absolutely being built by Jesus himself because Jesus went to a cross And you have that in the back of your mind. Well, I've had a whipping. Jesus went all the way. And he is the gold standard. Into a place for God to live. Well, can I say that church descended in all of its glory as God intended into that prison prison cell right there and then. We spend a lot of money on making church work for you guys and, and rightly so. But sometimes church happens in prisons. Jesus was born in a stable. He didn't need a church to get born. You remember that? God can presence himself where his believers are at because God comes and presents himself um, by the presence of the Spirit on more than one, well, one person, but lots of people together. That's where God comes to live. And of course, we then see by the Spirit absolutely manifesting itself in a very powerful way because the prison gets shaken, doesn't it? And the doors fly open and we have this incredible encounter uh, that Yatunde read for us. So we have influence, influence, Silas built influence. We have capability. Silas brought a gift that had been given to him by God that had then become an office. And we have resolve. We have ice fire going through Silas's veins that says, no matter what, I am sticking with my friend. I am sticking to my friend. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back up. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. And my challenge to us all uh, in this final section, is there somebody that we can stand beside in a way that is going to cost us a little bit. What is the person or people in your world, it might be a family member, it might be a friend, it might be a work colleague, where God is calling you to be a bit of a Silas to that person in terms of standing beside them? You will probably maybe know who that person might be and you'll sense that there's going to be a cost. But maybe God's calling you to go, no, I want you to stand next to that person and make them feel a little bit better that they're not on their own, that, they, that you've, got their, you've got their back, that you're alongside them. Who is that person? Who is that person in your mind that you can go out on a limb for, that you can stick your neck out for, that you know it's going to cost you something to, to do something for them? BCC, let's all stand, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to respond a little bit more after we've sung. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. just a moment I'm going to close our service in prayer and of course if you would like individual prayer for anything please just make your way down to the front and myself and the prayer team would love to to pray with you that would be our pleasure 
just in the closing moments of the worship there, I was asking the Holy Spirit, kind of, is there a word, is there a, a picture, a verse, something I often do at the end of services. And I, I felt this two-word phrase come to mind. And it kind of wasn't what I was expecting, but I'm going to share it with you because I think it's sort of relevant. In fact, it may be highly relevant. And the two-word phrase is this, one step, one step. And what, what I think the Spirit is saying is that if you're a person that's inspired to begin to start having influence, if you're a person that's inspired to start going on that journey of capability, and if you're a person that maybe wants to kind of grow in your strength of, of the principles that you have so that you've got that kind of real grit inside you that stands beside your friend no matter what, that kind of real determination, it starts with taking one step in that direction, actually. Sometimes we look at the, the end result and go, oh man, I can't be Steve Redgrave. I can't be, I can't be Silas. I can't be Paul. But they got there one step at a time. And that's why Jesus is so wise when he says, follow me. Because how do you follow a person? You follow a person one step at a time. And so I just want to encourage you, take a step today. We saw a beautiful moment. I'm sorry to pick you out again, Tinuola. We saw a beautiful moment from Tinuola today of a willingness to take a step. I love that. Yeah, and she laughed and there was energy there and it was kind of fun. She took a step and I want to encourage you to take a leaf out of Tinuola's book. I want you to take a, a leaf out of Ibukun's book who's already gone downstairs to serve on info points. So he's not here. Oh no, he's there. There you go. He has taken a step of, I'm going to have a go at leading communion. That's the first time he's done that. Didn't he do a great job? That was somebody who went, yeah, I'll take a step. So I just want to encourage you, take a step in the directions that you want to go with. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to do. Because when you've taken one step, the natural thing to do is to take another. And then suddenly you're on that journey. You're on that journey. Creating the kinds of things that you want in your life in the Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for the example of Silas. We just thank you for your words. We thank you for the richness that's in there. I never knew that stuff about Silas and I'm so glad I looked into his character and I pray your blessing upon each of us today that we can build influence ourselves no matter how small we are, that we can uh, create capability and bring skill to situations. But Lord, I pray that you give us that strength that we need sometimes, that grit that we need to do the right thing by you, Lord, and by our friends. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do say hi to loads of people before you go to uh, church and have teas and coffees and stay and chat. That'd be great. And we'll see you all very, very soon. God bless.